0: of us can relate to and that is the problem of worry the problem of worry our text states that we are not supposed to worry about anything at all uh, I submit to you that is easier said than done however what is said in this text is not meant to be a rebuke but an encouragement a help to us a antidote to our worry, if you will, uh, how to uh, overcome the anxiety that we experience in so many aspects of our lives. The theme of this message is that there is no need to worry because God's peace is attainable through prayer. There is no need to worry because God's peace is attainable through prayer. There is no need to worry. According to Philippians 4.6, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. What is anxiety, or as I'm going to be referring it to it this morning as worry? What is worry, and how is it to be distinguished from concern? Where does concern end and worry begin? Back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul was writing Concerning Timothy, and he said this, concerning Timothy in verse 20 of Philippians 2, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Generally concerned for your welfare. That word that is translated into English is concern is the same word that appears in our text. that says don't be anxious. So in one sense, verse 20 says, it's a good thing. He's concerned. And in our text, it says, don't be concerned. Don't be anxious. So which is it? Good or bad? Concern? Worry? Well, it's uh, kind of like the word lust, as we have referred to it oftentimes. Lust is a negative form of the word. Uh, to uh, Lust is a bad thing. Desire is the positive form of the word. It's a good thing. It depends on the context. It depends on the context. What is most uh, helpful, I think, is to try to make a distinction between worry and concern, since they are so closely related. In fact, in Greek, the same word. Concern is positive in that it seeks solutions to problems. Concern is a is a good thing. It's constructive. It's beneficial. It reflects. It takes into consideration uh, what we ought to do. Uh, It handles responsibilities and duties successfully. Concern is good. Worry, on the other hand, is bad. It anticipates problems for which there are no solutions. Worry is destructive. It's harmful. It has a negative effect upon our lives. Rather than causing us to be more effective, we become less effective. Uh, We become sidetracked by our worry. We become undone by our worry. Worry produces negative effects upon ourselves and others. The exhortation in our text is actually to stop worrying. Stop worrying. The uh, particular tense of the Greek uh, tells us that This is not a hypothetical, it's not saying that we shouldn't enter into worry, it assumes that we do. It assumes that the Philippians are in a state of worry, and they are to stop worrying. Uh, So too, often we are in a state of worry. Uh, We worry about many different things, and in this text we are exhorted to stop worrying. The exhortation is not to worry about anything at all. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. It is not as though the Philippians and us, for that matter, have nothing to worry about. Now it's true that sometimes our worries are unfounded. Some people are paranoid. They see persecution around every bend. They think that people are out to get them. Some people are hypochondriacs. They think that they're always sick. They think that there is something wrong with them. They think that they have a a great illness, if you will. So there is unfounded worry. But some worries are very real. Just because someone is paranoid doesn't mean that someone isn't really out to get them. Or that uh, hypochondriacs don't sometimes get sick. Sometimes there are very real reasons. But more than that, what we're to understand is that this is not a rebuke for the emotionally unstable or for the psychologically weak. This isn't just talking about people that have uh, tremendous psychological disorders, okay? People that uh, worry about nothing that is to be worried about. Uh, This is speaking to issues that uh, would bother the uh, strongest of people, those that are physically, emotionally strong. There are real things to worry about. This world is a scary place. There is much that is beyond our control. And it's good for us to keep that in mind. Paul is not addressing unfounded or baseless worry. Paul is addressing real and difficult situations in which the outcome is unknown and one has little control over. It is not to make light of our troubles or to ignore our troubles. Rather, it is a call to put one's troubles into perspective, to take our cares and our worries to God. Number two, we are not to worry because God's help is attainable. The exhortation is not to self-confidence. It's not to have an overestimation of one's own abilities or powers. It is not to delude ourselves into thinking that we have everything under control, that there is nothing to worry about. You see, some people don't worry when they should. Some people think they have control over things that they don't. Now, uh, to me, for example, it, it seems foolish, maybe that's a strong word, but you know, it's hard for me to imagine why somebody would ride a motorcycle without a helmet. And, uh, you know, I I think it's probably possible for somebody to get on a motorcycle and say, well, I'm going to drive carefully. Uh, I'm going to be responsible. Well, just because you're responsible doesn't mean the person that is driving the other direction is going to be responsible. Just because you're responsible doesn't mean you can't have a flat tire. Just because you're responsible. My point is that many times we don't worry because we think we're in control. Well, we're not. We're not. That is a baseless form of Uh, peace, and contentment. That's a delusion of ourselves. Uh, We are not to live a life of denial of the reality of evil or persecution or hardship or tragedy. It's not a call to denial. Rather, it is a call to come to God for help through prayer. In every situation, we are to turn to God. Notice verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. In this text, prayer is seen as the universal answer to a universal need. So that in whatever circumstance, we're not to be worried. Why? Because in every circumstance, we can pray. Everything that we can worry about, we can pray about. Every experience that we encounter, we can take it to God. There is nothing outside the purview of prayer. There is nothing that is outside the purview of God's sovereign power. And so in any situation, no matter what it is, no matter how trite to how severe or significant, we can pray. So we're to turn to God through the instrumentality of prayer. It says to be anxious about, not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. These two words, prayer and supplication, do not speak about a difference in in content. It's not that prayers have a different wording or content than supplication. The difference between prayer and supplication is not in content, but it, it is in form. Form. F-O-R-M. The word prayer that is found in our text refers to times of prayer in a formal sense. It refers to prayers that are set apart uh, as a result of dedication to prayer. <coughs> Structured Times of prayer, if you will. For example, we have prayer in our service. And we have a formal time in which we pray for the needs of the congregation. At such times, we're to take people's requests before God. We have a structured time of prayer on Wednesday night. And on Wednesday nights, we gather. And we hear of people's requests. We hear of people's needs. We hear of people's concerns. And we are to pray. Those structured times of prayer. And they don't necessarily have to be public. We have structured times of prayer in our own lives. Uh, Many people pray before meals. That's a habit, that's a tradition. That's a time in which we pray. Some people pray before they go to bed. Some people pray when they get up. Uh, Some people have a specific time when they have their devotions. Uh, All of that is included in this idea of prayer. Structured times in which we pray. So in these structured times that we pray, we ought to be praying our requests. We ought to be bringing our anxieties, our fears, and not just ours, but those of others as well. All right? Uh, we're to make the use, best use, of those formal times of prayer. The word for supplication speaks of informal or general times of prayer, uh, spontaneous prayer, if you will, that's not scheduled, it's not. Uh, put on the calendar. It's not in our date book. It's not uh, done at a regular basis every week. But as we drive in the car, as we encounter a worry, a concern, as a thought comes into our mind, the idea here is that we can pray in every circumstance. And we can pray about every circumstance. And so we ought to be using Our times of prayer to be praying about the things that are causing us anxiety and worry. And in the midst of that anxiety and worry, we should be praying. You don't have to wait. So a prayer meeting to pray about what is bothering you. You don't have to wait for a morning worship service to let us know of a particular need that is present in your life. You can pray at that, moment you can offer a supplication towards God. In our turning to God, we are to be grateful that we have such a God to turn to. Notice verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And now this word, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. Not that we need to butter God up so that he will listen to us, so that he will respond to us, but rather we are to be thankful that we have a solution to our worries and that our solution is God himself. We are to be grateful in our anxiety that there is a solution. You see the whole issue of worry is, is there isn't a solution. There isn't a problem. There isn't a way out. It is beyond our control. It's beyond our resources. And we worry about things over which we have no control. Well, we should be thankful that we can turn to God, a God who is in control over all things. A God whose resources are indeed sufficient. A God who can, in fact, take care of the very thing that we're worried about. And so the first step in dealing with this anxiety is to be grateful that we have a God that we can turn to, a sovereign, almighty, holy God. When we are at which end and have a tendency to ask the question, what can I do? The prayer, the response ought to be, well, I can pray. And I'm thankful that I can pray to a sovereign, loving, merciful, holy God. Next, we want to look at the outcome. The outcome. What can we expect? We've said that we don't need to worry, for God's peace is obtainable. Notice verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, in the text, peace stands in opposition to anxiety. Instead of the anxiety, we have peace. We have peace. Notice it tells us that God will give us peace. It's important to realize that that does not mean that He will lessen or remove the cause of anxiety. It doesn't mean that he necessarily will change the situation. It doesn't mean that he's going to remove the issue over which our anxiety is expressed. But rather, that in the midst of all that we are experiencing and that we are having to deal with, that we're going to have peace. And in our text, there is a Tremendously unique statement. It is is unique to all of the rest of the New Testament. And that is in verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The unique statement is the peace of God. That phrase, peace of God, is found only here in the entire New Testament. The most common phrase is that we have peace with God. The most common occurrence is that through the gospel we are brought into a a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a result of the gospel our relationship to God changes. We are no longer enemies of the cross of Christ as we described earlier in the book of Philippians. But now we are friends of God. We are at peace. We are not on opposite ends of the spectrum. We are not at war with God with trying to thwart his will, and demanding our will to be of God. But we are at peace with God. That is important, but that's not what our text is saying. There is the peace that God gives, as in John, where it says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I, so that the peace that God gives is different than the world's, the world gives peace by trying to remove the situation that causes the anxiety or worry, but not so on the part of God. But even this is a different sense. It's not just simply saying that God is the bestower of peace, but rather it is saying something that is much more demonstrable and, and quite amazing. It is a descriptive genitive. It is saying that you will receive God's peace, a God like peace. You will receive a peace that God has. You're going to be like God. Instead of having anxiety, God doesn't worry about anything. God doesn't sit in heaven with his hands wringing and say, oh my, everything's out of control. What am I going to (laughs) do? These people are rebelling against me. Uh, They they, they are sinning. They are, oh my, look at this. Oh, there's tragedy in the Mideast. Oh, they're talking about war over here. What am I going to do? Oh my, look at all these nations. They're rising up against me. What am I going to do? The psalmist said in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? They conspire, and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The anointed one in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. As the nations rise up, And rebellion before God, instead of wringing his hands, it says he sits in heaven and he laughs. What are they going to do? What are these world leaders going to accomplish? How can they overcome the power of God? Let me ask you a question. How many of you worry about getting beat up by a two-year-old? You get worried about be, be, being beat up by a two-year-old. Do you sit there and say, "What am I going to do if this two-year-old gets out of hand and, and uh, wants to resist me?" No, you got that under control. You got that under your power. Okay, you don't worry about two-year-olds. You, you worry about the guy that's got the machete or the or the uh, submachine gun or or something else. Okay. Here, the idea is that you're going to have peace. The kind of peace that comes in recognition of God's control, of God's sovereignty, of God's direction over the things of this world. That is the kind of peace that you are going to experience as you come to the Lord in prayer and submit to his will. Not that he takes it away, but he shows you that all of this is under his purview. All of this is under his care. All of this is under his control. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Nothing worries God. Nothing is beyond his control. And since nothing worries God, nothing should worry us. You know, we have tendencies to place our faith and trust in the wrong places. I, I read from the psalmist for Wednesday night prayer meeting. Place not your, your trust in princes. We receive false hope. We receive false trust. We receive false confidence. Because we think there are certain people under control. And we think they'll watch over us. We think that they'll protect us. Little children don't worry about things because they leave it to their parents. Mom and dad will take care about that. They don't worry about where the next meal is coming from. Mom and dad always provide the meals. Okay? Mom and dad will watch out for me. Mom and dad will take care of us. Well, there comes a day in which mom and dad are no longer there. Or it comes a day in which we realize that mom and dad are uh, not in control of everything. Okay? Uh, they are human. They are human. And so the psalmist says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. When I realize they are valuable, then God will be my source and my strength. Okay? We have nothing to worry about because God has nothing to worry about. No one, no thing, can overthrow the plan and will of God. Therefore, we can have peace. Okay, His peace in knowing that he is in control. The peace is described in verse 7. The peace of God, and now it says this, which surpasses all understanding. Surpasses all understanding. We could understand that in a number of ways. That could mean that that peace goes beyond any human explanation, okay? To to try to explain that, it's kind of unfathomable. Um, But probably better is that it's it's better than a peace that arises from human planning or scheming. Plans fail, but God does not. Faith in ourselves is misplaced. Faith in God is never misplaced. That is where faith belongs. Our confidence belongs to him. We can have faith. We can have peace in things that we don't understand. We can have peace in the midst of situations in which we don't know the outcome. We can have peace when we can't explain what God is doing. Okay, We can have a peace that isn't dependent upon my intellectual comprehension of what's taking place. The very nature of worry is the uncertainty. It's the unknown. And our passage isn't teaching us that all of a sudden we will will all of a sudden have the knowledge. It isn't teaching us that all of a sudden we understand the outcome. But rather, we have the peace in knowing that God does. And not only does he know the outcome, but he has control of the outcome. And not only does he have a control of the outcome, but he has a purpose in the outcome. And not only does he have a purpose in that outcome, but we know that that it all works together for good. To those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And so it's not a peace that is Based on my understanding every iota of what is taking place. It's not that he's going to explain to me the mystery of his will. But it is the resolve that, yes, a sovereign God knows what he's doing. And therefore, I can be at peace. Notice the effect of the peace. Verse 7. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word for guard here is is the aspect of a sentinel. It's, It's a person who stands on watch. Stands on watch. But interestingly enough, it's a word that doesn't mean to stand on watch for the enemy. But rather, it's a word that means to hold into captivity. It would be like a person that is placed on the outside of a cell to make sure that the, that the uh, inmate doesn't break out. It's the security guard. Okay. It's the person who is standing guard at the door so in the nursing home, so the person that has uh, Alzheimer doesn't just go out and wander and, and get lost or wander into the street, but they're safeguarded. There is a security person On the scene. To guard the person from themselves. And the idea here is that God will guard us against ourselves. God will hold us captive. God will keep us. And he will keep us in respect to two ideas in verse 7. He will guard our hearts and he will guard our minds. He will guard our emotions. You see, because what does anxiety do? It causes us to be an emotional wreck. And when we're an emotional wreck, we do great harm to ourselves and to others. We say and do things that we regret. We make pure, poor decisions. We act in an un Responsible, irresponsible way. The verse before our text says, King James, let your moderation be known unto all men. In the uh, ESV, it says, let your reasonableness be known unto all men. The idea there is that you take life in stride, that there aren't these incredible highs and lows in life that are dependent upon our circumstances but that we're able to take them in stride. I used to run track, but I was never a hurdler. And uh, I know Mike Herb is a great hurdler, and uh, I'm hearing that Elijah is just as good as his dad at his age. So kudos to Elijah, okay? Uh, I never ran hurdles, but I do know that you're supposed to take the hurdles in stride, meaning that there's to be the same distance between each hurdle. You're not supposed to jump over the hurdles. You're supposed to glide over the hurdles. You're supposed to be as close to that hurdle as you can come. Because any higher you go, it slows you down. And you're supposed to treat that that hurdle as though it didn't exist. That you just go through that race. And you come to that hurdle. And you stepped over it. And you're down. And you're moving on. And that hurdle hasn't created an obstacle, it hasn't slowed you down. Anxiety is not to slow us down. But rather, it's to be the obstacles of life that we take in stride. That by God's peace, that he guards our emotions, that that our emotions don't run away with us. And we start acting in a way that we should not. Go back to Philippians earlier when it talked about the fact that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That we are conducting our lives that are consistent with what we profess as people who have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So it guards our hearts, our emotions. Secondly, the peace guards our thoughts. Guards our thoughts meaning that it allows us to see clearly, rationally, and confidently. For it tells us in verse 7 that, that he will guard our minds. I said that there is a, an answer to um, anxiety, and it is prayer. Uh, in reality, it's a rather simplistic answer because Philippians gives us three answers. It says, Be anxious for nothing. Number one, But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Two, finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Number two, guard your thoughts. Number three, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. There we have the, the bookends to this. And the God of peace will be with you. So there's actually three things. Number one is you pray. Number two is you think about the right things. And number three, you do and act upon what you know to be right. And it will result in peace. But today we're looking at the first one. We'll look at the second one next week. But you see it's an introduction to it. It will guard your your minds. It will give you that ability to look at, life objectively, to put it in a proper perspective, to begin to think about how a sovereign God and the promises of his word come to bear on my particular situation and circumstance. It reigns us in, okay, so another illustration, okay, a a horse's illustration where the horse is panicked and about ready to run but you have reins and you can pull back on that horse and you can cause that horse that is beginning to run away to rein in and actually cause that that horse to stop. The idea is that by the grace of God you can rein in that anxiety that is causing you to run away, causing you to lose it, causing you to come Unglued. You can have your thoughts reined in as you pray. And thank God that there is a solution to your need. And it's a sovereign God. And He can give you a new perspective on all these things. He will enable us to maintain our. Christian perspective the broader context is therefore my brethren dearly beloved long for my joy and crown stand fast in the Lord my dearly beloved that's the peace that is being described in this passage that's the result of the peace that you're able to stand fast, to stand fast, to stand firm. Now the analogy is changed to warfare. And we, we know what it means for a soldier to hold his position. When the opposing army is beginning to march on the hill, when the airplanes are coming, when the bombs are dropping, when the artillery is closing in, and that person is holding their ground. What this passage is teaching us is that by the mercy and grace of God, we can hold our ground. Don't worry. God will see us through. He can cause us to stand in our Christian faith. What might we face in this world? What kind of persecution? Who knows? And if you sit and just think about this world and and where it's going, it can drive you crazy. And you can begin to wonder. And you can wonder about your child that's going away to college. Are they going to remain faithful to God? And you can begin to worry about a whole host of things. But brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, the promise of God is we will stand firm. He will watch over us. He will protect us. So in times of anxiety, we need to turn to him. With thanksgiving, and have the peace to know that nothing worries him, that nothing challenges him, that nothing is beyond his control, therefore my life is safe. And I can stand firm because he can rein in my thoughts that are taking me in directions that I cannot know. Because he will put a sentinel, a guard around my emotions to keep me from acting in a way that's totally going to undo everything that he does. It's a different kind of war- peace than the world gives, but it's a peace that he promises. As we look to him in prayer. Oh help us. In our anxiety and worry. To go to God. And ask that we have his peace. His perspective. His understanding. Of this world. And in so doing. Have our thoughts reined in. And our emotions. Held in check. Let's pray. Our father help us. Help us. These things are beyond us. Even as your text tells us. They are unexplainable. They are incomprehensible. But O oh Lord, give us faith in you. Help us not to look at all the troubles. Help us to look to you. O oh Lord, when we don't know where to turn, may we turn to you. And long before we get to that place where we don't know where to turn, may it be our first response. May it be our immediate thought. As soon as doubts arise, oh God, help us to take them to you in prayer. And we pray for your peace. We pray for that settledness that you have. That complete knowledge that everything is under your control that there is nothing that anyone or anything can, can thwart your will, that you are above all things, every power, every might, every dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Nothing can overthrow you. Oh, Lord, give us that same settledness in our own mind about you. Lord, give us peace, knowing that you are in control of all things. May sovereignty not just be a doctrine, but Lord, may it be an experience in our lives. As we thank and praise you that you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor, for expounding the word of God to us. Now, would you take your hymnals as we have an opportunity to respond in song, very much in keeping with this theme. Give to the winds your fears, found in hymn number 422, rather. Please stand as we sing this hymn, 422.
0: Bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Now and forevermore.